0: Our Heavenly Father, as we come before the throne of your grace, those of us who know you, those of us who have eternal life, we have that comfort, we have that assurance, we have that confidence. We know that whatever may come in the days ahead, we have your spirit and your word to sustain us. We know that we are encircled by your protection, and by your grace. But Father, our burden this morning is for any who may be here without Christ. And so, Father, we lift them up to you because you know every heart and you know every soul. You know everyone who has hardened their heart, who is pushing you away, who is closing the ears of their soul. They don't want to know about the issue of eternity. They don't want to think about eternity in hell, but they're afraid to make the commitment to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, would you break down those barriers this morning and somehow give my stumbling and staggering tongue the ability to communicate a message that your spirit prepared before the ages began for this day. Grant that grace might prevail in every heart and soul this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I would like you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is one of those books that causes a lot of people a lot of problems, but nine times out of ten, the problems are because of misunderstanding. People don't understand the book, and they don't understand the purpose for which the book was written. The emphasis in the book of Hebrews is... Definitely not, as some people conclude, warning believers they can lose their salvation. I had a young man come up to me yesterday and tell me I believed in Christ. I know that I've trusted in him, but I have doubts. That's normal. The devil loves to sow doubts in your mind. Maybe as we go along this morning, I'll tell you about doubts that the devil sowed in my mind at one point. And it can be very distressing, it can be very discouraging, but we have to come back to the faithfulness of God. And so we come to Hebrews chapter 11. If you know anything about the Bible, you know this is often referred to as the faith chapter or the heroes of faith chapter. And I just want to read a couple of verses to get us started. Verse 1 says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Other translations, I believe the New King James says, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And I actually like that translation because it's really looking at faith from two perspectives, my perspective and the perspective of the person who is lost. What do I mean by that? My faith gives substance to my hopes. My faith assures me of the reality of the promises of God. Faith lays hold of the truth of God's word and it becomes a reality in our soul before we ever see it in our life. And so when we talk about a topic like we're talking about this week, running to win, running to gain the reward My faith tells me that that is possible for me and that I can do it. In spite of my weakness, in spite of my sinfulness, in spite of my failings, it is possible for me, it is possible for you to actually gain that reward. Rewards are not given to perfect people. Rewards are given to persistent people. People that won't give up, people that won't stay down. People who won't throw in the towel, they just keep pressing on. That's why the word endurance crops up so many times when we talk about gaining eternal reward. Faith is the substance. What is substance? Substance is something I have in my hand. I'm holding something in my hand. I have the reality. I have, if you will, the down payment of future promises. It gives me that confidence, conviction, and assurance that these promises are real. How do I know? Because I know that I know that I know. That's something no one can take away from you. But it doesn't only give substance to me, it provides evidence for someone else. And we talk about singing from the shackles, and you may have heard of a guy by the name of Richard Wormbrand. And Richard Wormbrand spent 14 years in a communist prison for no other reason than that he preached what I'm preaching to you this morning. 14 years. At one point, they put him down in a dungeon and they put 40 pounds of chains on his wrists and on his ankles. I never had the opportunity to meet, meet uh, Richard Wormbrand. I did meet uh, another one of the fellows Uh, that lived at the same time, who also spent about 14 years. And his conversation while we were together was so enlightening. Because he said, when you're in that prison and you're isolated, you think no one is even thinking of you. And yet there are hundreds of thousands of people who know your name, are lifting you up and praying for you. But what Richard Wurmbrand did while he was in the dungeon and he was chained with these 40 pounds, he actually had the shackles on him. You know what he did? He composed a hundred sermons. I have the
1: book. Every day he would compose a
0: sermon and he said, I would preach that sermon. To the believers out there around the world in that dingy cell and he memorized each one so that the first day he came up with a message the second day he reviewed the first message then came up with a second one and he came up with a hundred of them and he memorized each one of them sometimes those of us that teach can't even keep the one we're
1: teaching in mind but you know why he did it he
0: said one day i will be free And when I am free, I'm going to preach to the people these messages that I came up with while I was in chains, while I was in the shackles. His faith gave him substance, reality, conviction, so that he could provide the evidence to other people, people who had never gone through what he went through. Faith gives substance to the person who believes. It gives evidence of things not seen to those who have not believed. If you will, just move up with me to verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God, and I want you to listen closely to this, must believe that he is. In other words, you've got to believe that he exists. You know, long before we ever trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we know that there's a God. The Bible tells us that creation reveals the existence of God. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, night unto night utters knowledge. In other words, we are surrounded by the evidence of a creator in everything that we do. Creation speaks of a creator. Romans chapter 1 tells us. That those who reject God are rejecting all the evidence in the world. Because from the creation of the world, his eternal power, his Godhead, his glory is seen. And as we move through life, well, I have to tell you this little story. Here's a mission story for you. My wife and I had gone into Nigeria. And we went to eastern Nigeria along the border of Cameroon. Very wild area of Africa, jungle area, very remote. We had to trek in on goat trails to even get into the starting point. And then we actually crossed the border into Cameroon. No passports. There was no passport place. There was just a river running through the mountains. We gathered believers together from seven different villages. Our son, Will, was with us. He went running with some of the young African guys, and they went around running to the seven villages in that area, some on one side, some on the other of the border, and they gathered those tribal people together, and many of those people had never seen a white face. Little kids, when they saw us, would scream and run because they thought we were people who had come back from the dead. About 300 people gathered from these seven villages. But there was one village, the chief would not allow the people to come. He came and his elders, he had six elders, he and his elders came. We had 300 people seated on the ground out in front of us, and he and his six elders were standing at the back. He was standing there like this, and he had three elders on each side of him. A very young, strong, good-looking young African guy, looked like an African warrior, and he was standing there like this, just questioning, what's this all about?
1: He prohibited his people from coming.
0: Now, sometimes in situations like this, it's very difficult because I'm speaking English. My initial translator is speaking Igbo, and the people don't speak Igbo. So I'm speaking English to my Igbo translator who translates to another guy who then speaks in their language. It had to go through three of us for them to get the message. I gave the gospel. My son, Will, stood up and gave the gospel. Another guy from Australia named Andrew that went with us stood up and gave the gospel. My wife stood up and spoke to the ladies and the children and gave the gospel. We got all done. By this time, it was pitch dark. We had a big fire burning, 300 people sitting around us, and all we could see were their eyes and their teeth. And these people were as black as the night. We got all done. And it was like they sat there like
1: some of you. So.
0: And I stood up and I thought, God, what else can I do? So I said, does anybody have a question? I'd love to have about an hour of questions and answers with you guys. Does anybody have a question? I know
1: you have a question. Can't think of it at the moment. That's okay. Yes, who raised his hand?
0: That chief. Back in the back and I thought, here we go. Because the whole time he had just been standing there like, "We, we kill people
1: like you. You know? And he raised his hand.
0: And he spoke to his translator who spoke to my translator who spoke to me. Very difficult to do things like this. And the message came through to me. We understand that you are telling us there is one true God. And that we have offended him. And that therefore we're under judgment. That's pretty good. I mean, he got that much out of the message, right? Then his question came.
1: We don't know what we are supposed to do. What can we do? I thought,
0: okay, I thought we had explained this, but apparently it didn't come through. So I thought for a moment that the Spirit of God gave me a beautiful illustration and I pointed up and in the African night, you know, there's no light pollution there and the stars are just absolutely brilliant. And these blazing stars, they looked like you could just reach up and grab one of them. And I pointed and I said to everybody, I want you to look up and they all looked up. And I said, see those stars, how many stars are there? And they all shook their head, and the chief guy said, no one can count them. And I said, that's right. I said, the God who created all of that created you. And he knows the name of every one of those stars, and he knows your name. And he loved each and every one of us so much that he sent his own son into this world to go to the cross and to hang on a cross. And I explained the cross, I explained crucifixion, and I said he hung there in agony to pay for our sins. So that all we have to do is believe in him. And the heavenly father will give us eternal life now. If I had seen this only by myself, I would have thought I was hallucinating. But I saw it, Will saw it, Andrew saw it, my wife saw it, the translator and his team that were with us about five or ten, five or six or eight African pastors that were with us, they all saw it and we looked at each other like, did you see that? Yeah, I saw that. Because what happened, it was like a wind went through that crowd. It was as if, there was this breath that went and you just saw this ripple go through the crowd and you saw people's eyes light up and you saw them looking at each other like, did you get this? Yeah, I got it. And they all started smiling and they all started clapping. And it was like that whole crowd. We watched that crowd come to faith in Jesus Christ.
1: Since that time, some of
0: those pastors that went with us have gone back there And they have started, I think there are now six or seven churches that are running in that remote area of Africa. I have never seen anything like it in my life, but I will never, ever forget when the Spirit of God, Jesus said the Spirit of God is like the wind and the wind blows where it will. And you see the effect of it, but you can't see where it's coming from or where it's going. And I saw that breath of the Holy Spirit give life to those people. That's what I desire to see for
1: some of you who are here this morning. He that comes to God must believe that He is. This is Hebrews 11:6. You have to believe that He exists, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek Him. Young people, I don't want to stand at the judgment
0: seat and look out there and see you on the opposite side. I don't want to look out there and see the tears running down your face. As you look at me, you look at Mark, you look at Blair, you look at Jed, you look at Christopher, you look at, it's
1: going to happen. We're all going to be there. I don't want to
0: be looking out there seeing your soul in absolute Anguish and terror, remembering that I stood here and warned you, and each one of us spoke and warned you of the awful eternal doom that falls on those who reject Jesus
1: Christ. You have today. You may not have tomorrow. Say, what do I have to do? Maybe you're like the African pastor.
0: Turn with me again to Matthew 22. Matthew 22, you know one of the things I love about the Lord Jesus.
1: He made everything very simple. He was a simple teacher.
0: He taught very deep truths, but he taught them in a very simple way. And people were always asking him, what must
1: I do to enter eternal life? And this is one of the times that he answered. Matthew
0: 22. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. You can try to imagine this in your mind. The king's son's getting married. The king's throwing A huge party for all of his people. Verse 3 says he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast. And they were not willing to come. There you are if you're without Christ. God is going to hold a great wedding feast between the church, the believers, in Jesus Christ, and the Lord. By the way, if you've ever heard There's no marriage in heaven. That's a lie. Heaven is a marriage. That's what it's all about. It's a marriage between Christ and his bride. And his bride is made up of those who believe in him. And there is going to be a wedding feast. And that wedding feast is going to last for a thousand years. Called the kingdom age. We are going to feast and rejoice and celebrate and serve Christ. For a thousand years on this earth, we may come back to this very spot and sit here and say, remember when we met together? Remember the classes that were taught? We'll have perfect memories there. We'll remember everything that's good and and pure and perfect. It's going to be awesome. But the people were unwilling to to come, and so he sent other slaves saying, Tell those who have been invited, behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fat, uh, fattened livestock. They're all butchered. Everything's ready. Come to the wedding feast. He wanted them to come and share his joy. They paid no attention. They went their own way. One went to his farm, another to his business. The rest of them seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. This is a picture of what the world did to the prophets that told of the coming of Jesus Christ. So the king was enraged and he sent his armies and he destroyed those murderers and he set their city on fire. That's your future if you reject Christ. There's just one difference. The fire will never go out. The flame will never go out. Do you know how Jesus, no one spoke about hell more than Jesus. You know why? Because he knew what it involved. And one of his descriptions of hell was blackness and darkness, but he talked about the fact that you would have a body that would be decaying for eternity, but never destroyed. You know, when you die, your body goes in the grave and the worms devour it and your body decays. I don't know why we spend thousands and thousands of dollars so some undertaker can make somebody look good and put a nice smile on her on their face and. You know, people walk by and say, man, he never looked so good. That body's going to decay and destroy. But Jesus said hell is an eternal decaying of the body without ever being destroyed. He, his exact words where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Unending flame, unending decay, unending corruption. That's You want that for your future? Doesn't that sound wonderful? So you can see why the king is enraged that he
1: offered people everything and they rejected it.
0: Let's go on. Verse 8. He said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those that were invited are not worthy. Go therefore to the main highways and as many as you find, invite to the wedding feast. And the slaves went out into the streets and they gathered together all that they found, both evil and good. The wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. You know what? I am so thankful that God welcomes the evil and the good because I'm the evil. If there was no place for the evil, there would be no place for me. Paul said Christ died to save sinners of whom he said, I am chief. Well, he may be chief, but some of us are pretty close behind him note verse 11, when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes, I love this, I love some of the goofy interpretations that come out of this passage, the king comes in, in those days you had to have a wedding garment, the wedding garment was supplied you when you showed up at the wedding, you put the wedding garment on, you went in, And why did they do that? I'll tell you why they did it. The same reason in many countries they have uniforms for the children that go to school because some kids are so poor they're like me. I used to go to school in old rundown shoes with holes in them and pants that were all ripped and torn and I was very embarrassed sometimes to go to school. Well if you have uniforms everybody looks the same and nobody's embarrassed. So They would bring in wealthy people, poor people. They would give them all a nice garment to wear. They put on that nice robe and everybody looked fine and everybody celebrated together. Here's a guy that doesn't have a wedding gown. And the king said to him, friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. The king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth.
1: Now here's the
0: screwed up interpretation that you often get in passages like this. The man was a believer, but he sinned, and therefore he lost his wedding garment, and therefore he was cast out.
1: No. Totally false. Jesus is talking about something that actually happened. Jesus dealt with reality.
0: And what he spoke of here actually happened because shortly thereafter, he and his disciples went into the upper room and he inaugurated the wedding feast. We call it the Lord's table. And before he could inaugurate the wedding feast, he had to throw someone out that didn't have a wedding garment. And that guy's name was Judas. Judas never believed. Judas was an agent of the enemy working in the camp of the Lord, and therefore Judas had to be ejected, and the Lord Jesus put him out before he began to celebrate the wedding feast, the Lord's table, with the disciples. There is no issue here of losing salvation. There is an issue that was illustrated by the life of Judas.
1: The point here is this. Will you
0: be there? Jesus ends his story with this statement. For those of you who are teachers, here is your definition of election. Ready for it? The Lord Jesus Christ defines election. Many are called, but few are chosen. You know who the chosen are? The ones that answer the call. That call of the king is going out to you young people this morning. And for those of you who have answered that call, and for those of you who have trusted Christ, that wedding feast will be a reality. But before the feast can begin, there's the ejection
1: of those who reject. My heart this morning
0: and my burden this morning is that you will not be among them. That you will be one of those that Jesus spoke of in Matthew 5, We looked at it yesterday as he said, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. What he was saying is for all those in the circle.
1: Paul calls it in Christ.
0: Somewhere along the line, you trusted Christ and you entered into eternal union with him. And therefore, you are his forever. And those who are in Christ are blessed. And you become, as we're told in 2 Corinthians 5.17, a new creature in Christ. And that new creature is described in the Beatitudes. You don't have to hope to be blessed. You don't have to wait to be blessed. You are already blessed above and beyond anything that you can even imagine. We just need to learn the blessings that we have. Those who are blessed, who use the blessings that they're given, are going to receive a reward. Remember James 1.12 told us, blessed is the man that endures temptation, blessed is, present tense, for after he is approved, he shall receive, future tense, an eternal reward.
1: If you're a believer, you have the blessing. The question is going to be, did you use what you have? Did you use what you have?
0: Did you take care of it? Did you take advantage of it? Did you grow in your understanding of it? Did you use it to be a blessing to others? Did you seek and fulfill the plan of God for your life?
1: I'm just going to do a quick check here.
0: Very hard for me to tell the time because I have to look at my clock which stays for some reason on Arizona time and I have to add three. What time am I supposed to be done here?
1: 10-10. Perfect. Another mission story. When I was 16 years old,
0: I worked in the hay fields all summer. I saved my money so that I could take an adventure trip. Originally, I was gonna go to Africa. I won't go into all the details of that. I wanted to go to Africa and see the big game and the wilderness and all the stuff. And God closed that door. Instead, he reconnected me with some missionaries in the middle of the Amazon jungle. At 16 years old, I went into the middle of the Amazon and I was living with a tribe of Stone Age Indians. I have many pictures today of me back at that time Those people who are hunter-gatherers, they live in the jungle, they hunted for a living, they use bows, they use snares and traps, and there was a missionary that was working among them. While we were there, Satan played one of his tricks that he often plays on young believers, and to the young man that spoke to me yesterday, this is for you. He loves to create doubt in your mind, he loves to... Cause you to question yourself, did I believe enough? Did I believe the right thing? Is my faith hard enough, strong enough? So on and so forth. And while I was living in that primitive Indian tribe, I began to question my salvation. And the more I questioned, the darker things became. And we had witch doctors around us that were doing all kinds of witchcraft stuff, satanic stuff against us. And I came under an oppression I believe it was a demonic oppression that's very difficult for me to describe for you, but I felt as if I was in the cold and the dark. And I felt that somehow I had lost my salvation. I had committed some sin and God wouldn't hear me when I prayed. It was like my prayers were bouncing off the ceiling. It was a thatch hut, by the way. When I tried to read my Bible, it was like there was a a haze between me and the Bible. And I used to just go out in the jungle and I used to just cry. And he used to just say, what in the world has happened? What have I done to cause this kind of a situation? And as this wore on me day after day after day, I remember walking out, we're in the, under the equator, 10 degrees off the equator in the Amazon jungle. And I walked out in the middle of the village and I remember reaching my hand out to try to reach out past that dark, cold place that I was in and feel the sunlight. And I couldn't feel it. And I was terrified. So you know what I determined to do? Something Satan would have loved. I took a big machete about this long that was razor sharp. And I walked out in the jungle and I put it against my sternum, right under my sternum with the sharp edge up. And I was going to fall forward on it. I was going to kill myself because I couldn't live with the agony and the anguish that I was going through. Right before I fell on that machete, I said, God, if you have anything to say to me, you need to say it now because I can't live like this. I'm going to kill myself. You know what God did? He spoke to me with a verse. You know, God speaks. You want to hear God's voice? It's right here. He spoke to me with a verse that I had heard. I'd only been a believer for a year and somewhere along the line in that year I had heard a message about Job and how Job went through anguish and trial and and loss and suffering and affliction and somewhere along the line in that story there was a verse that came through I couldn't even remember where it came from but it said this Though he slay me yet will I trust him. Though he slay me, Job 13, 15, which became my life verse. And I took that razor sharp machete and I took it down and I said, that's the answer. I know the gospel message. Even if I lost eternal life, I could at least dedicate the rest of my life to sharing the gospel with other people so they could have eternal life. And as soon as I made that commitment, it was as if the darkness just went, it was gone. God allowed me to go through the week of misery and agony to bring me to a point to make a commitment that put me here in front of you today and led me to the plan of God for my life. I want to tell you the end of the story.
1: I told you in the beginning, I wanted to go to Africa.
0: It had been my dream since I was six years old to go to Africa. Well, about 25 years after my experience in Brazil, God opened the door for me to go to Africa. I was in Ghana, Africa. We went out into a remote area. There was a little shed about the size of the porch of that shed right there. There were about 30 believers gathered. This was my first opportunity to preach the word, to teach the gospel in Africa. And these 30 people are gathered there. And as I walked in and stood up in front of them, at the back was a young African guy standing there with his Bible like this. But he had written something
1: on the pages of that Bible. You know what it
0: was? Job 13, 15. God orchestrated 25 years later for a guy to be standing there with the verse that changed my life when I wanted to go to Africa and ended up in Brazil. And God said, I had it all planned. All you had to do was follow me And the scripture makes us this promise. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. For those of you who are believers, delight yourselves in the Lord. Everything that you're hoping for, everything you desire, if it's good for you, if it's beneficial to you, he will give it to you.
1: You just have to follow him. For those of you
0: without Christ, without hope, and without eternal life, I plead with you. Don't harden your heart. Do you know that every time you hear the gospel, you are less likely to believe it the next time? Because you've hardened your heart. And the hardening of your heart is like scar tissue on your soul. And your soul becomes so hard that pretty soon the gospel message no longer even convicts. You don't even feel that finger of the Holy Spirit pressing on you, saying you need to believe because you become insensitive and you have sealed your doom to an eternal hell without Christ. This is the burden that God gave me today. I share it with you. I pray that God the Holy Spirit can accomplish what he wants to accomplish. Let's pray. Father in heaven, how thankful we are for your love. The love that sent your son from the courts and the councils of heaven, from the glory and the beauty of your throne room into a world of sin, sorrow, and suffering. And Father, he came down willingly to live among us, to live a pure and holy life in a sinful, fallen world so that he could go to the cross for every one of us. He didn't leave anyone out. As he hung on that cross, the sins of each and every one of us pierced through his heart and his soul. He thought of each one of us personally as he was on the cross. Father, I pray that none of us will harden our heart, close our ears, and turn our back on such a gracious offer. May God the Holy Spirit accomplish what my weak words could never do, Grip those hearts and souls that continue to turn away. Open the eyes and the ears and bring home the message. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. We ask this
1: in his name. Amen.